As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Welcome to another edition of Danny in the Valley, the Sunday Times tech podcast from sunny California, where every week we bring you a conversation with someone who is in some way shaping this brave new world we're all living in. Uh, We have a very good one this week. Marco Zappacosta is here, and Marco is the founder of Thumbtack. Thumbtack is a marketplace for plumbers and piano teachers and DJs and wedding photographers and professionals of any stripe. So it's kind of like what Airbnb is to hotels or Uber is to transport. Thumbtack is to tradespeople or for anybody who needs a quick job being done around the house or for an event or whatever. The company is a unicorn, of course, so it's worth well over a billion dollars. And Marco has a great story to tell about getting the company off the ground. It's pretty torturous. We had this storage room that we used as a people would take calls in there because it's like big enough you could pace in and be private. And I just went in there and cried by myself for a while. And of course, we'll also get into one of the subjects that is the top of a lot of people's minds these days. The future of work in the gig economy. Hope you enjoy it. So we started this business end of 08, early 09. And you know the dream has always been to make it radically easier for customers and to find local professionals like plumbers, caterers, tutors, folks like that. Turns out we were not the first ones to try and do this. But given that we started. I think there's a little thing called the Yellow Pages. And there are dozens of tech companies before us, too. But starting in the time we did, where there was less hype in the startup community, gave us the space to sort of grind it out in a way that I I wonder if we would have been able to do it today. Um, It took us the better part of four years to put the pieces in place to make Thumbtack sort of into what it is today. Four years with no funding? So we'd raised some funding, but Thumbtack today has raised $250 million. In the first four and a half years, we'd only raised six. The sort of real growth came after that, and it just took us a while to figure it out. Um, And so I'm I'm thankful that we had the space to do it. Now we have a quarter million active professionals on the platform across a thousand different categories. We send them over a billion dollars worth of business every year. But that scale of the marketplace took time to really grow. So let's go back to 2009. I did a bit of reading before. You were living on your brother's couch? Well, I slightly better. He had taken a job that took him to Italy. So in exchange for house-sitting his cat, I got a subsidized rent at his house. He was leaving, and so it was easy. We put all of his living room furniture into one of the spare bedrooms, and we put desks in there and hung a whiteboard in the living room. And uh, my co-founders and I just sort of got to work. There were two of you then or four? Like many, there's a sort of a complicated story here. Four of us really sort of germinated the idea. 
But once we started working, there were first two, then the third came, then the fourth came. We start August 2nd, I believe, 2008. Two weeks later, Lehman goes under. And I remember sitting there with one of my co-founders, and part of it was like, well, we're not going to be able to work anywhere else. We might as well just grind on this thing. And it did really help create space for us. Where were you living at the time? Uh, this was in Potrero Hill, so that neighborhood in San Francisco. Because you were previously in D.C. for a bit or something. Yeah, I, I went to school in New York. I went to Columbia. And then during college, like many 20-year-olds, I got into um, Social Security reform. As you do. As one does. Now, we had zero impact on the national discourse. But through that, we discovered how much fun it was to build something out of nothing and, and really go for it. And so decided to do it again, which in some ways is how you're not supposed to go about it. You know, you'll hear wise old men say uh, you have to solve one of your own problems and then build a business around that. I think there's not one way to play this game. In fact, Jeff Bezos famously academically came up with the decision to start an online bookstore. And I think we very similarly sort of said to ourselves, what's a big broken thing in the world that we think technology can fix? And even more so, one that's inevitably going to be fixed. And when you think about it, very rarely does a world make it hard for you to spend money to get what you want. And so here was a category where that wasn't true, where you had to sort of... With local services, effectively. Yeah, exactly. Like, in what other case are you working hard to spend money? And it's not because there's nobody there willing to do it. There are hardworking folks who would love to earn your business and do a great job for you, but the world wasn't bringing these two sides together. And that felt to us like a problem that technology and, and sort of software and the internet could really help solve. More importantly, one that inevitably was going to be solved. So you didn't grow up saying, I want to reimagine the Yellow Pages as, I did a, not, as no. a young man. I did not, but I feel very fortunate to have found this domain because it's one uh, where I think we're going to be able to make a big impact. I mean, the motivating force was what's the biggest problem we can solve for ourselves so that we can live an interesting life and be for the world so we can make a big impact. And we picked this problem because it was big and, and that has proven out to be the case. And through that are now get, get to have a big impact, which is fun. So why did it take so long for you to kind of formulate this into to a, what you would recognize as a business that someone would find? Well, it's either because we're dumb or it's hard. And I clearly have a preference over how to answer that question. And the reality is probably a bit of both. The hard challenge here is this is an incredibly fragmented market. You're talking about individual plumbers and caterers and tutors. There's over 20 million of, of these folks in the United States who make their living this way. And there's no natural point of aggregation. So there's no like list you can go buy that you in instantly have a relationship with all these people. There's no wholesaler or distributor you can go to to sort of have access to this market. You have to build these relationships one by one. And so the sort of core challenge originally was how do you jumpstart it? How do you create a system that naturally attracts first professionals in our case and then ultimately consumers and can do so in a cost-effective manner because you can't sort of pay a lot to do that? The next big challenge was, okay, great. You've figured out how to get buyers and sellers here. How the hell do you bring them together in the way that's fundamentally better? At that point, 2008, 2009, all of the available solutions were really online versions of offline products. Either directories like the Yellow Pages or classified sites like newspaper ads. No one had reimagined the experience for this digital world, and that's what we set out to do. But honestly, it was not obvious on what the answer was. And so it took sort of learning and trying to realize, hey, we can really broker this connection much more efficiently by sitting in the middle of it, by understanding the needs of the customer and through that, connecting them with the right professional and therefore having neither one 
cold calling to see, hey, are you interested? Are you interested? Are you interested? And, and sort of be that market maker. And could you talk about your journey to raising that 250? Because presumably this came with a lot of rejections, a lot of no's before there was any yeses. Oh, I got, I got plenty of no's. The story goes, we start like many people by raising money from friends, families, and fools. And that gives us our original sort of capital to get going. Then we raised an angel round in June of 2010 from a great group of angels, uh, raised 1.2 million. The feedback we were getting from these guys who are smart and great was, hey, the thing that matters most is solving the chicken and the egg problem of jump-starting this marketplace and really getting it to grow. Um, we should say before we go on, you're not particularly long in the tooth. So today, what, how old are you, 30? I am 31. 31. So back then you were 20? Uh, I was 25. And you, at, by that point, you had created a or tried to help reform Social Security and failed, and you got people to give you millions of dollars. Yeah, that was it. Uh, when people ask my background, I'm like, well, I was a college graduate. Uh, uh, and so that's all I got. I hope not to need a resume. And so, you know, we raise this angel money from these people who are, are wise and thoughtful, and they tell us to focus on this problem of building liquidity. Basically, having both buyers and sellers interested in the same thing at the same time on the platform, such that when you as a customer show up looking for a plumber, we have plumbers there willing to do that type of work. Or I'm, I have a party in two weeks, I need a DJ. Exactly. It's like our fill rate. How efficiently are you able to sort of like get customers what they want? And we were by no means done, but we had put in place something we thought was showing great evidence of having solved that problem better than really anybody had up until that point. And so with our sort of chest kind of puffed out, uh, we go out to raise our Series A, our first institutional round of money in the fall of 11, and get rejected a lot. And so we actually go 0 for 42. Uh, 0 for 42. Before we get our first yes. Why did you keep going? We are very stubborn the reality is I thought they were all wrong. And now I get to say, I told you so. Did you get the official no letter? Do you have like a collection uh, of These no guys letters? don't give you no, official just... no's. No, no, no. That, that would be too de definitive. They wouldn't be able to go back on that. Uh, so they they always leave the door open to more. Such I've been that... told this is called the California no, which sounds like yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you know, I advise founders who are raising money for the first time to sort of, there's one answer uh, or two. There's yes and not yes. The no is kind of meaningless. But actually, in our case, you start racking these things up, and you hear a no once, might be meaningless. You hear it five or ten times, that's actually telling you something. And in our case, the feedback was, was pretty clear. It was like, hey, congrats on what you've solved. However, we don't believe you have a credible way of, of making money. And, you know, we'd always thought, hey, we're, we're brokering this financial transaction, ultimately, and this commercial transaction, and clearly someone would pay us for us. They're making money. But we weren't able to convince them of that fact. And so we had to scramble. And we put in place sort of a, a monetization scheme that was suboptimal, and we knew it. But what was it? It was subscription-based. And so it simply was a, hey, Joe, hey, Jane, pay Thumbtack $30 a month to access all the customers we have in your area. It worked. We ultimately had millions of dollars in recurring revenue and 10,000-plus paying pros but we always knew that was a flawed system. It didn't monetize on the margin of value creation. meant we were either overcharging or undercharging, never right charging. But it proved to these investors we talked to at the end that, hey, we could pull it out. And so Javelin Venture Partners invests in January of 12. 
So that was 43 you finally got Yeah, there's 43 and 44, both who leaned in on it, finally. We got close to dying. Seven of the nine employees at the time were taking a reduced salary, some of whom zero salary. Now, we were living and working out of a house, so we were able to offer shelter and food uh, <laughs> and an internet connection, which... Uh, like in Silicon Valley, kind of. That'll Yeah, I mean, the creators <laughs> certainly did their homework. The DNA of the business was really forged in that moment, right? Like, you don't stick around earning way below your market rate for fun, because it's actually not super fun. It's stressful. You get at each other's throats a little bit because, you know, this dream that you have is is sort of slipping through your fingers. Now, throughout all of that, we never lost faith in the idea and the vision. So were you all living together for years during this time? In the summer of 2009, we uh, were going to hire a few interns. And so I tell my brother, feeling like, you know, I owe it to him to tell him I'm going to bring some interns into his house. And he says, absolutely not. We went looking for another house and we found it and four of the guys actually lived in the house. And we finally moved into an office if you can call it that, it's a very charming cave on the Toma and Sixth Street, with like no uh, like unfiltered glass. <laughs> At some point in 2012, when was the moment when you realized actually this is going to work? I think it came in the um, summer of 13. You know, the inflection point of the business was really around then, and this was after we replaced the subscription model with a paper introduction model. Um, that we have. So if today. I'm a plumber or a DJ or a cook, you sign up. You tell us what you do. You tell us where you do it, and then we start sending you what we call customer requests. You can see everything that we know about that customer, where, what, and at that point, if you're interested in getting in touch in sending a quote through that customer, you pay Thumbtack to do so. And the magic in that is, yeah, we make money, but actually, more importantly, we make the experience better. When a pro is willing to pay to get introduced to you, it's because they think they can do a great job for you. So by virtue of having that sort of filter, pros are qualifying themselves. The quality of the matches goes way up. The quality of the customer experience goes up. They then engage more, which makes the pros happier. And it has this sort of virtuous cycle How effect. much do they pay for a lead? It varies from about 3 to $30, depending on the value of the job. And it's sort of dynamically generated per request. You didn't study computer science or anything like this no so both my parents are computer scientists um, right so i think it's important we should talk about that because you come from a background of yeah, entrepreneurs. that's right? right and so you know like many people i didn't want didn't want to do what mom and dad did i studied neuroscience and political science in high school in college you know was always sort of literate in computers and computer science and programming just sort of growing up here in silicon valley with because your parents started logitech yeah that's right and those are the speakers and keyboards and yeah computer peripherals computer peripherals as you're listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Growing up in that environment of having parents who are entrepreneurs did that presumably that's important oh it's something that imbued i mean after 42 knows to keep going well first off it's a real privilege to have that right i think the biggest thing that i had that i think is very rare is seeing how possible it is i think there's a lot of talented people out there who because of circumstance the fact that they don't have anyone in their families or immediate sort of circumstances that have done something like this they don't even consider the possibility of it and that's that's huge. The other thing is, you know, you have to keep in mind that they worked on their respective startups for decades. You know, my mom retired as a VP of engineering of a startup two years ago, and she'd been working oh, wow. there for 17 years. My dad was at Logitech for 20 years. So I had the benefit of, of seeing like, hey, like, stuff does not happen overnight. And I think there's been... Um, an unhelpful narrative of the sort of like, you know, overnight success. It that is, is the narrative it here. Is, yeah, because there's myth in that, right? There's magic in that. And it tells a good story. And, you know, the press is part of it too because it's dramatic. But it's almost never true. Yeah, we love a good story like that. You should, yeah. It, it's the a overnight, great story. The overnight billionaire. Yeah, which it just doesn't exist. I, I mean, I, I joke, we're sort of a year and change away from being an overnight success. 10 years is <laughs> August of 18. So getting pretty close to it. And just going back to the problem that you have solved, is it just very smart software that basically matches what people are looking for and what pros are in the area, et cetera, et cetera? I think many of the companies that you see emerging today are much more broadly versed than historic tech companies here in, in the Bay Area. Because we solve a real-world problem, it's not just about technology. It's a ton about design and the product experience. It's also about marketing and how you actually efficiently get it in the hands of buyers and sellers. That full-stack capability and being able to execute across these domains is a big part of why we've succeeded. Now, if you were to push me on what's the, the, the enabler, I would say at the end of the day, it's technology. right? We've managed to create a product that solves a problem for both customers and professionals in a dramatically easier way than anyone else has. And that's a function of, of the technology we've built and the product that expresses that. And how much of the company do you still own? A motivating amount. That's a very political answer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I actively did not answer the question you asked True. me. No, I, I really mean that. So obviously we've been diluted because we've raised a bunch of money. But I actually... I don't regret that ever. You know, these guys gave us a bunch of cash. 
and we gave them some stock. And we think we can turn that cash into a lot more equity value such that my smaller than 100% ownership is actually going to be, be worth dramatically more. So, so becoming a unicorn is a stop. It's not the destination. Oh, yeah. We're just getting started. I actually think we haven't even hit our stride. When you think about how big this market is, you know, there's $700 billion a year that gets spent on local services, the vast majority of which is happening offline through word of mouth, through friends of friends, in five or 10 years, that will be the minority. What you're talking about is e-commerce in the mid-90s, where you're just starting to see like, oh, wow, this is easier. Oh, this is better. This is more efficient. But only today is e-commerce really sort of earning sort of the bulk of the growth. So this will take a long time to really play out, but there's going to be an Amazon or um, sort of Google that emerges. They're already space. doing They're already, but at the Amazon and the Google are already trying to do this, right? Sure, which I think is a testament to how big the potential is here because they don't play around in markets that they don't think can be tremendously big and move the needle even for them. And look, it makes sense that both of those companies are trying to make this happen. A board member had a very comforting thing when, when these guys launched and he said, look, if Amazon or Google or Facebook isn't competing with you, you're probably not doing anything worthwhile. So feel good about that and get back to work. So is the idea that you would become the Amazon of local services? Yeah. So think about all the things that you and, and your life needs today, right? <clears throat> There's a ton of things around your home, be in home maintenance, like a cleaner, a repairman, home improvement, whether you want to sort of paint the walls or build a new deck. Um, there's things around events, uh, be it, you know, a big birthday party, a child's graduation. There's things about your wellness, you know, personal trainer, yoga, children, and the instruction they need and the tutoring they need. There is no go-to place today to help you find and hire local professionals for all of these needs. And I think there will be because it's a huge source of anxiety for busy parents and, and busy professionals, yet that's something that people want to do more of. And so if we can come in and credibly say, hey, look, you can trust us for whatever you need done. We've got great pros who are here and willing to help, so try us out. My more philosophical take on that all is that customers are lazy. Whichever service is able to enable their laziness best will have the gravity to attract Amazon. Yeah, it's just Because Amazon's easy. prices aren't even that low anymore. They're the same. It's just so damn easy. Today, asking your friend or your neighbor is an incredibly inefficient search paradigm. Instead, asking the network that has insight into all of the professionals who serve your area, who has data about all the, all the jobs that they've done, who has the market data around how their price compares, is a much more compelling way to solve that problem. You know, I think the best example of that is how fast dating apps have taken over. So for all of time, the number one source of people finding their partners was through friends. What are we at? You know, 15 years of dating apps, maybe not Is it even. about to tip like 50% yeah, is I now? Yeah, I saw a, a study that, that sort of showed the survey data around this, and they expect in the next five years it'll tip. And I'm going to date myself a bit, but growing up, it was like, if you met somebody online, it was kind of like, mm. It's taboo. It's like, yeah, what are you into? Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> not, not really what you led yeah, with. Yeah, now it is. You know, my sister's uh, five, six years younger than me. I'll talk to her friends about it, and they're like, wait. Why would you not? You think you just go to a bar and meet the, your life partner? That is a crazy thing. It's very low tech. Very low tech. <laughs> but if we could step back. So you guys are in many ways like Uber, Airbnb, part of the, you know, the gig. The gig, sharing economy, the, I, I would prefer you say. Not the gig economy. I think sharing actually speaks to the innovation more than gig. The innovation is 
that these platforms have liberated underutilized assets. If you think of you know ride sharing, it's about cars. Airbnb, it's about homes and, and physical spaces. Thumbtack, it's about human capital, which is by far the biggest asset class of the three. And ultimately, I think the most important one to liberate, the power of these peer-to-peer networks is that you dramatically lower the transaction costs for these two sides to come together. And through that, create a much sort of richer and more dynamic and diverse world. So what do you say about the worries around what you call it the gig economy, the sharing economy? It is at its heart almost fundamentally more insecure than if you go back 20, 30 years and you have kind of the prototypical paternalistic company where you have a pension, you show up to work every day and 35 years later you retire and you that is your life. This is what is my email going to say today from Thumbtack? Am I gonna am I gonna work? Or am I not? So the anxiety of this world is real. However, I do not think that it's a reflection of what these companies have done. It's a fabric of the world we now live in. Because of offshoring, uh, because of automation, things that sort of can be moved offshore will. Things that can be automated will. And so there is just fundamentally less stability. You guys have an operation in Philippines? Is in that the right? Philippines, yeah, that's right. And what is that? That's quite a big. It's it's hundreds of people. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You know, as does Uber and Airbnb is huge operational teams too. The real world in the is, Philippines? Uh, no, Airbnb does not. Uh, Uber does. The real world is messy, and so to create these marketplaces that abstract away that messiness, you have to do a lot of work, a lot of curation. A to sort of you know, validate in our end uh, the pros coming in or the drivers or the hosts of these other platforms. And on the other side, to help with the sort of inedible questions that arise and customer service and support. And so, you know, unlike a Google or a Facebook, which is sort of just a, a pure play technology business that is not really engaged in the world in the same way we are, we're sort of embedded in the fabric and it's messy. So where does this lead because it it, do, it does feel like if you know, if the big company is kind of dissolving, mm-hmm. in the broadest sense. Yep. You spent your well, your first kind of job, I guess, was trying to fix Social Security, for example. Yeah. So it's kind of would have helped here too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, there's a little bit of irony there, knowing that yeah. you're kind of that's right. This very company is going to increase the stress on you know, the public pension system. So I, I take a little issue with that last frame. Here's what I say. I think there's hope in this future. And in fact, I think it can be a better one for broad swaths of America and ultimately the world. I think the inevitability of automation and offshoring is a question of when, not if. That leaves non-routine local jobs, things that we can do for each other. The great thing on Thumbtack is that people are earning a real living on it. The average wage is over $70 an hour, $75,000 a year. These people are providing a talent, a trade into the world that is in demand that allows them to live a legitimate middle-class lifestyle. Unlike some of these commodity labor platforms where the labor is irrelevant to the service that's being offered, that's not going to work out well for the labor. It's going to zero. commodity labor platforms? So when you uh, book on a ride-sharing platform, you don't care about the name of the driver. In fact, if there was no driver, you might even prefer that. The companies certainly would. That highlights how little bargaining power the labor has there. Thumbtack, however, is all about revealing the sort of human talent and the professional services that exist in the world. That's what you come to do. 
right? If you think of a tradesperson, call it a carpenter, they're great at working with their hands. They're great at building things out of wood. They're probably and often not great at online marketing, but they shouldn't have to be. That's simply getting in the way of them doing what they could do best. So I think the hope in this is that we can democratize access to these markets such that people can better leverage the talents that they have and live a sort of a great life with that. Now, there are challenges, and I think security is exactly what you highlight. And so I think there are things that technology platforms need to do, like us. You know, over time, like, we'll have to really figure out how to solve that problem. But there's also things that the government and, you know, the world around us needs to do, be it portable benefits or a much better vocational education program and retraining efforts to streamlining local regulations such that we lower the cost of starting a new business and being an entrepreneur. But these are huge very difficult things to actually make happen. But this this sharing economy, let's call it, is forging ahead regardless of whether that is happening. You know, there's going to be an inevitable tension between the disappearance of a lot of these things that come with, you know, call it the old economy and the rushing ahead of this of this new model. For sure. We are, as an industry, operating at a dramatically faster clip than the regulatory environment is evolving. Now, a couple of things. Part of what you're seeing is the atomization of work. And through that, platforms like Thumbtack are replacing what the firm used to do for its employees. Think of a, a local plumbing company, a Roto-Rooter. Roto-Rooter is effectively a brand and marketing engine for its technicians, its plumbers. It pays about 30 to 40% of the wage the customer pays to the, the worker pockets the rest for profit, 30%, 40%, and pockets the rest and keeps the rest to pay for overhead, insurance, back office, as well as some profit for the business itself. Many of those things we can offer as a platform. We're starting with marketing and finding new customers. Over time, you're going to see us expand into the back office such that not only can you find new customers, but you can serve them through Thumbtack. And then we absolutely want to connect our pros with all the things they need around sort of workers, uh, insurance, things that we can help provide through the private markets. But we can't do everything. You know, the government through the broader social sort of infrastructure that is created needs to retool it. We built our welfare state from the 20s on around full-time employment because that was how people were employed. It was the most efficient way to administer the system. That is no longer the case, and it's increasingly less so. So independent of this question of how much support should the government offer, or what types of benefits, we would say to that, irrespective, we have to provide them to workers and not employees. And that concept of benefits portability is key. And, and you saw it in the ACA, you know, Obamacare. That was sort of a central tenet of, of that reform. And, and we saw it play out. So we surveyed our pros. And in 2016, uh, pros who went into business for themselves for the first time, about a third of them cited the ACA as the enabling factor. Obamacare. Uh, yes. And specifically the ability to basically take their insurance with them. To purchase leave. insurance on the individual markets, um, such that they could provide for themselves and their families without having an employer-sponsored plan. We see it in our numbers, and it's not surprising, right? Like, you know, if, if you've got a family at home and, and you're worried about their health, like, you might not be able to take the risk. Pretty reasonable. So it's a, it's a subject that a lot of people talk about here because, you know, one block down is Uber and a couple blocks away is Airbnb. You guys are here. 
do you get a sense or do you have lines into government or local or federal that this is something that, you know, there's a realization that this is not a passing fad? I believe so. So we've had the benefit of interacting with a lot of these folks. We run a, a very broad survey. We believe we have the most representative sample of small businesses in the country at this point, And we survey them every month. And through that, put out studies on how they perceive their state and local governments to be friendly or unfriendly on various things, how they're thinking about healthcare reform. And we present that data to local policymakers. Uh, you know, we ourselves are not sort of in the business of coming up with the solution, but we want to make sure that the voices of these pros are, are heard. And when you talk to mayors, be it, you know, in Providence or in Rhode Island or out here in California, you can tell that, you know, they're searching for an answer around what type of gainful, sustainable employment um, they can sort of rally behind. And I think they, they realize that the future of work is a much more fragmented one. It's a much more dynamic one where it's more episodic. Uh, it's It's more it's different. And there's no stopping that. There's no way that anybody could stop that. And I think we're a long way away from saying, here's the answer and here's the solution. But I think evermore, there's a crystallization of the problem. What does the Philippines operation do? What is it? What function do they serve? So we have a number of things that we do, um, be it in terms of curating the marketplace in that making sure it meets our community standards and, and checks we run on our pros when they come in, as well as dealing with customer support that comes our way. But on future of work, you think this writing is on the wall. It's not going to go backwards. I struggle to believe that we will have less trade in the future. And I struggle to believe that we will have less automation, both of which I actually think are positive forces. And so the only question is, what's left? And how do we create an environment to support that future of work? Uh, one of non-routine, non-tradable work, sort of local services, broadly defined healthcare, education, personal services, professional services. That's what we're going to be doing. And look, 93% of all jobs, new jobs, according to the BLS over the next 10 years, are going to be in local services. This is happening. The only question is, how do we support it? And how do we like create the environment to best enable people to thrive in, the, in that world? What was your worst day of work? Oh, during that fundraising period, in terms of like acute bad days, yeah. uh, there was a moment where hit rock bottom and thought we were going to get a good answer and didn't get a good answer. And it was one of the few lifelines we had left. I remember uh, we had this storage room that we used as a uh, people would take calls in there because it's like big enough you could pace in and be private. And I just went in there and cried by myself for a while. It was a low. That wasn't that fun. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah. Not getting that meant what? That you might have to... It might just die. It might just be over. That might be the end of the business. Yeah. But pulled it out. So here we are. Better for it. Now yeah. I can say that. Yeah. You know, whatever what it was. What was the best day? Uh, it's still happening. We are so far from achieving our vision. The most exciting thing is that we are making more progress against that goal today than ever before which is a reflection of you know having more great people in the business, having more infrastructure underneath us that lets us go faster and do more, having a clear sense of purpose and knowing exactly, hey, this is what our pros want from us. This is what our customers want for us. And that's fun. And then seeing it come together and start working feels really good. How often does it happen that a pro, because if they are paying for leads and you know I put out, you know, I want to get a wall painted or whatever, and then this guy pays five bucks to get my lead and I'm like, hmm, no, no thanks. 
I have seen some complaints that, you know, people just pay and pay and pay and don't get any work. So there's no question that some customers don't end up hiring, which is no different than any other marketing channel these folks have ever engaged with. And so our challenge is setting pros up for success, doing everything we can to make them succeed. And so what we see is once pros are hired three or four times, they stick forever. The challenge is getting you to understand the system and investing enough in it up front such that you craft a good profile, you know how to send a good quote, you price competitively, you've got reviews. Uh, that sort of cold start problem is tough. And in some ways, actually getting harder as these markets mature. I would, ima- I would imagine that in the world in the world of online dating and everybody doing it, people would get better at crafting profiles. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, maybe that is a wind in our back. <laughs> um, but it, it goes back to the fact that you know being a great tradesperson does not necessarily make you a great online marketer. And for many of these people, like, this is, this is not their forte. Crafting, you know, three paragraphs about themselves as a business is not what they want to be doing. Or having great pictures of yourself and your work may not be what they know how to do. Soliciting past customers and having a CRM where you can say, hey, I need, I need a few testimonials to get my, my page started. Like, maybe they don't have their contact info. So uh, that's the challenge. There are certainly times where we haven't been able to succeed in that, and pros are upset, and they, and they blame us, and they should blame us. But uh, I also know that there's hundreds of thousands of pros on the platform today that are earning great business off of it, and there are going to be millions in the future, and um, we'll keep getting better. Uh, last question, I'll let you go. Yeah. Um, if you could give your 24-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Focus. You know, I look back and what we originally talked about as sort of the problem we had to solve was clearly very unfocused and evidence that we hadn't talked to enough customers or learned enough about this space. Because it's not that the things we were talking about didn't matter, but there's typically one thing that matters the most. And in our case, it's, it's matchmaking, bringing these two sides together. We were distracted by other things, payments and all sorts of stuff that are part of the platform today and are valuable parts of the platform, but were a distraction from the core value and the core problem we were solving. And I wish we could get that time back. But at the same time, it's like you don't really learn until you start trying. So it's easy for me to look back and say, oh, you should have focused more. You should have been smarter. But I bet in five years I'll look back and tell my, I wish I told myself that now too. Right. Maybe you would have had a bit less than 42 no's. A bit less, yeah. <laughs> uh, Marco, thanks very much for taking Anything. the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for coming over. So there we go. Hope you found the conversation interesting. I know I did. Uh, knowing myself, if I had been rejected 42 times from anything, I would have given up probably after the third or fourth go, which is just one of the many, many, many reasons I'm not a billionaire. I'd like to thank Marco for taking the time, and I'd also like to ask you a favor. Go to iTunes, give us a rating and review. It really helps people find the podcast. And of course, you can read me every week in the Sunday Times, either in the paper or online at thetimes.co.uk. And again, just have a little stop through the iTunes store and give us a rating. It does help. That's all. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.